Hey, you found us. Welcome, everybody. This is Scripture Gems. Hello, and welcome to the show. My name is John Fulmer, and this is my brother Jay. How's it going, John? We are two brothers who just can't get enough of the Scriptures. Yeah, we love them. This episode, we are going over the Come Follow Me lesson for August 30th, Happy Birthday, Mom, through September 5th, 2021. This is covering Doctrine and Covenants, sections 94 through 97. And now let's bring out the star of the show, the Scriptures. Oh, this is going to be wonderful. Hooray! So glad to have them here. And now let's consult the Scripturematic 6000 to find out how long it will take to read this week's reading. 17 minutes, 18 seconds. Very manageable. And what would that be daily? That would be 2 minutes, 28 seconds. Fantastic. Here we've got time codes if you want to study section by section, or buckle up, and let's go through them all together now. Here we've got the locations of where the various revelations were given, and let's go ahead and start with section 94. Our introduction will come from the Institute Manual. It says, early in 1833, church agents began purchasing several tracts of land in Kirtland, Ohio, including the Peter French Farm. This property, along with large land holdings owned by Frederick G. Williams and Newell K. Whitney, became the focal point of new city planning efforts. On May 4, 1833, a conference of high priests appointed Hiram Smith, Jared Carter, and Reynolds Cahoon to serve on a building committee. These men were charged with raising money for and overseeing the construction of church buildings in Kirtland. One month later, the saints began constructing the Kirtland Temple on the newly acquired land. In the revelation recorded in Doctrine and Covenants 94, the Lord revealed His will concerning additional structures to be built in Kirtland near the temple. In early publications of the Doctrine and Covenants, the revelation recorded in Doctrine and Covenants 94 was incorrectly dated as May 6, 1833, the corrected date of the revelation, August 2nd, 1833 is included in the 2013 edition of the scriptures, though the order in which the sections appear is not changed. And we don't suspect that it would be. That would make all of our previously published references wrong. That could get very confusing. It could. So let's go into the revelation. What is the Lord instructing? Starting with verse 1. And again, verily I say unto you, my friends, a commandment I give unto you, that ye shall commence a work of laying out and preparing a beginning and foundation of the city of the stake of Zion, here in the land of Kirtland, beginning at my house. And behold, it must be done according to the pattern which I have given unto you. So there's the key. Mm -hmm. In the next 15 verses, it describes five different plots of land, three on the south of the Kirtland temple lot and two on the north. Verses 3 through 9 Describe the first lot on the south to be a house for the work of the presidency, including obtaining revelations. This building is to be two stories, a lower court and a higher court, and 55 feet by 65 feet measured from the inside, from the inner court. Now, here's an image of the planned layout. As you can see, the houses aren't in particular detail, but... It helps you to see in the notes that the three buildings on the right represent the Kirtland Temple, which was mentioned in verse 1, a house in which the presidency could do their work. We just talked about that, verse 3. And then coming up, the third building is going to be a printing office that will be referenced in verse 10. 
So let's take a look at the instructions that we get in verses 7 through 9, starting at verse 7. And it shall be wholly dedicated unto the Lord for the work of the presidency. And ye shall not suffer any unclean thing to come in unto it. And my glory shall be there, and my presence shall be there. But if there shall come into it any unclean thing, my glory shall not be there, and my presence shall not come into it. That sounds very temple-y. Yes, it does. It sounds very much like a temple. They wanted to make it a sacred edifice for the receiving of revelation. I love it. Now, in verses 10 through 17, we've got some additional information on the buildings, verses 10 through 12. The second lot on the south is to be the printing press. We talked about that. And in verse 13, there is a third lot on the south in which Hiram Smith is to receive his inheritance. And in verse 14, the two north lots were for Reynolds Cahoon and Jared Carter. Nice. Now, in verse 16, it describes these two houses, this is the house of the presidency and the printing house, are not to be built until I give unto you a commandment concerning them. Well, so were they built? The 2001 Institute Manual tells us, as it happened, the building of the Kirtland Temple took all the energy and finances of the church. By the time it was completed, the faithful in Kirtland were compelled to leave for Missouri, so the other two buildings were not completed. Well, that's too bad. Yeah, I would have liked to have seen those. But moving on to Section 95, welcome. Let's get our background from the Institute Manual. It tells us, In the revelations recorded in Doctrine and Covenants 88, the Lord instructed the saints in Kirtland, Ohio, to organize a school of the prophets and to build a house of God that would serve as a place of worship and learning. In a letter to William W. Phelps in Missouri, the Prophet Joseph Smith emphasized the urgency of constructing the house of God in Kirtland and providing a school to instruct the elders of the church. This is the word of the Lord to us, the Prophet wrote. Yea, the Lord helping us, we will obey, as on conditions of our obedience he has promised us great things, yea, even a visit from the heavens to honor us with his own presence." Despite the promise of this glorious blessing, during the months following the receipt of this revelation, the saints did little to fulfill the Lord's commandment. In April 1833, church leaders purchased land on which to build the Lord's house. On May 4, 1833, a conference appointed a committee consisting of Hiram Smith, Jared Carter, and Reynolds Cahoon to raise money to construct the building. However, Nearly a month later, when the Prophet Joseph Smith received the revelation recorded in Doctrine and Covenants 95, neither the committee nor other church members had begun construction of the Lord's house. The saints did not seem to understand at first that they were building a temple. Records suggest that they envisioned the house the Lord commanded them to establish as a schoolhouse. The revelation recorded in Doctrine and Covenants 95 expanded the saints' vision and prepared them to better understand the nature of the house of God. I have a feeling there will be good instructions in here for us to understand the nature of the house of God. And we need to give these people a little bit of credit. Yes. I mean, there has been no temple built in this dispensation. Yeah. This was the first one. They have no perspective. Exactly. So fair enough. So let's start with verse 1. Verily thus saith the Lord unto you whom I love, and whom I love I also chasten that their sins may be forgiven. For with the chastisement I prepare a way 
for their deliverance in all things out of temptation. And I have loved you. Wherefore ye must needs be chastened, and stand rebuked before my face. For ye have sinned against me a very grievous sin, in that ye have not considered the great commandment in all things that I have given unto you concerning the building of mine house. The Institute Manual gives us this great quote from Elder D. Todd Christofferson. This comes from April 2011 General Conference, in which he expands on those verses a little bit in saying, quote, Correction is vital if we would conform our lives unto a perfect man, that is, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Though it is often difficult to endure, truly we ought to rejoice that God considers us worth the time and trouble to correct. End quote. So true. You know, it's a funny thing if the relationship between the parent-child, master-apprentice, whatever it is, if that relationship is off because of bad behavior, in order to make the relationship beneficial for both parties, you've got to have a clear understanding of expectations. There's a woman that I know personally who is having trouble with her dog. He was getting into all sorts of trouble and misbehaving in many ways, and she was going to go take him to a train-your-dog course. And she went there, and she listened to the instructor, but she said she just couldn't do it. She said, I just love him too much to discipline him. Well, I hope you can see the problem with that. What we learn from the Lord is that he loves us so much that he will discipline us so that we can be the best we can be. That's how much he cares about us. Absolutely. Going back to the Revelation in verse 5, But behold, verily I say unto you, that there are many who have been ordained among you, whom I have called, but few of them are chosen. They who are not chosen have sinned a very grievous sin, in that they are walking in darkness at noonday. I love that image. So think for a minute about how might ignoring the Lord's commandment to build a temple be like walking in darkness at noonday? Would that apply if we chose to ignore other commandments? How does that fit that description if we are ignoring the Lord's commandments? I picture people walking around with their eyes closed. Yeah. You know, they could be seeing where they're going, but instead they choose to shut out the light. Yeah, that's a great point. Going back to the Revelation, verse 8, Yea, verily I say unto you, I gave unto you a commandment, that you should build a house in the which house I design to endow those whom I have chosen with power from on high. For this is the promise of the Father unto you. Therefore, I command you to tarry, even as mine apostles at Jerusalem. Now, just to clarify, the word endow means to provide someone with a gift. That's what the Lord wants to give the people. And it should be remembered that this endowment is not the same as the modern temple endowment ceremony that we go through today. Right. It's a gift, as Jay pointed out. Yep. From Revelations in Context, we're told building the temple would be a huge challenge for the saints. In the summer of 1833, there were only 150 members of the church living in the area. And as a side note, most of them were poor. None of them had the traditional qualifications to oversee such an ambitious construction project. There was not a single architect or engineer among them, or even an experienced draftsman to draw up the plans. Wow. 
So again, why would the Lord give a commandment if there wasn't a way to carry out the commandment? Going forward, look for what the Lord promises if the saints would keep his commandments. Verse 11, Verily I say unto you, it is my will that you should build a house. If you keep my commandments, you shall have power to build it. If you keep not my commandments, the love of the Father shall not continue with you. Therefore, you shall walk in darkness. Now, in verses 13 through 17, the Lord gave instructions on the dimensions and functions of specific rooms in the Kirtland Temple. In verse 14, for example, let's look for one way the Lord indicated he would fulfill his promise to give them power to build the temple. Verse 14, Therefore, let it be built after the manner which I shall show unto three of you, whom ye shall appoint and ordain unto this power. Now, these three were the first presidency. Let's take a look at some commentary in Revelations in Context. It says, Joseph Smith and his counselors, Sidney Rigdon and Frederick G. Williams, were duly appointed to obtain a draft or construction of the inner court of the house. Williams later described the ensuing vision. We went upon our knees, he remembered, called on the Lord, and the building appeared within viewing distance, I being the first to discover it, then all of us viewed it together. After we had taken a good look at the exterior, the building seemed to come right over us. The finished building, he said, seemed to coincide with that I there saw to a minutia. One fundamental question settled by this vision was the matter of what materials to use in building the house. Lucy Mac Smith remembered a council meeting in which it was decided that a frame building would be too expensive. A log house was proposed instead. As an aside, can you imagine the Kirtland Temple <laughs> as a log house going on? Joseph Smith reminded them that they were not making a house for themselves or any other man, but a house for God, he said. And shall we, brethren, build a house for our God of logs? No, brethren, I have a better plan than that. I have the plan of the house of the Lord given by himself. Lucy remembered Joseph saying that this plan would show them the difference between our calculations and his ideas. The brethren were delighted when Joseph described the full plan, which envisioned a stone structure. That's great. Now, the Come Follow Me manual includes a brief summary of a story that I really enjoy about this time in church history. It says, after being chastised for not building a house of the Lord in Kirtland, church leaders chose a site in a wheat field where they would build. Hiram Smith, the prophet's brother, immediately ran to get a scythe and begin clearing the field. We are preparing to build a house for the Lord, he said, and I am determined to be the first at the work. Oh, that's great. I love that. <laughs> so good. You know, part of what seems to have motivated him was a clear view of the Lord's purposes. Now, we don't often get that. Sometimes we're just told to do, and then that vision comes later. But I think that was a really important part that helped them to raise their sights and to be able to contribute in a way and with an enthusiasm that was requisite for the project at hand. Absolutely. Well, let's go on to section 96. From the Institute Manual, we get this background. 
In April 1833, Joseph Coe, acting as agent for the church, purchased 103 acres of land in Kirtland, Ohio, belonging to Peter French. The Kirtland Temple would eventually be built on a portion of this property. On June 4, 1833, a conference of high priests gathered in council to discuss the use and management of the newly acquired property. Unable to come to an agreement, church leaders inquired of the Lord about the issue. In response, the prophet Joseph Smith received the revelation recorded in Doctrine and Covenants 96. Nice. Let's start in verse 1. Behold, I say unto you, here is wisdom, whereby ye may know how to act concerning this matter. For it is expedient in me that this stake that I have set for the strength of Zion should be made strong. Therefore let my servant Newell K. Whitney take charge of the place which is named among you, upon which I design to build mine holy house. Let's jump to verse 4. Therefore take heed that ye see to this matter, and that portion that is necessary to benefit mine order for the purpose of bringing forth my word to the children of men. For behold, verily I say unto you, this is the most expedient in me, that my word should go forth unto the children of men for the purpose of subduing the hearts of the children of men for your good. Even so, amen. Hmm. Notice how the publishing of the word of God would help the saints. It would help them by subduing the hearts of others to allow them to do the Lord's work. Isn't that what happens often when we study the scriptures? It realigns our own will. It causes us to sacrifice our own will so that we can align it with our Father in heavens. Nice. Now, the last few verses of the Revelation, verses 6 through 9, are instructions that John Johnson is to be made a member of the United Firm. And that's the end of the Revelation. Fantastic. So let's go on to section 97. Welcome. I'm excited to be here. From the Institute Manual, we get this background. In obedience to the Lord's counsel, church members in Missouri started a school of the elders in the summer of 1833. By early July 1833, they desired further instruction regarding the school and sent two letters to the Prophet Joseph Smith requesting that he inquire of the Lord concerning the school in Zion. In response, the prophet and his counselors wrote a letter on August 6, 1833, which included the three revelations recorded in Doctrine and Covenants 94, 97, and 98. They referred to the revelation recorded in section 97 as the communication which we received from the Lord concerning the school in Zion. The prophet received this revelation a few weeks after mob violence broke out in Jackson County, Missouri. On July 23, 1833, under pressure, church leaders in Missouri signed an agreement to leave Jackson County. Joseph Smith was unaware of these events when he dictated this revelation. Mm. Well, let's start in verse 1. Verily I say unto you, my friends, I speak unto you with my voice, even the voice of my spirit, that I may show unto you my will concerning your brethren in the land of Zion many of whom are truly humble and are seeking diligently to learn wisdom and to find truth. Verily, verily, I say unto you, blessed are such, for they shall obtain. For I, the Lord, show mercy unto all the meek and upon all whomsoever I will, that I may be justified when I shall bring them unto judgment. 
Behold, I say unto you concerning the school in Zion, I, the Lord, am well pleased that there should be a school in Zion, and also with my servant Parley P. Pratt, for he abideth in me. And inasmuch as he continueth to abide in me, he shall continue to preside over the school in the land of Zion until I shall give unto him other commandments. And I will bless him with a multiplicity of blessings in expounding all scriptures and mysteries to the edification of the school and of the church in Zion. And to the residue of the school, I, the Lord, am willing to show mercy. Nevertheless, there are those that must needs be chastened, and their works shall be made known. The axe is laid at the root of the trees, and every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit shall be hewn down and cast into the fire. I, the Lord, have spoken it. That is a powerful opening, and there is a real key phrase at the very first verse, many of whom are truly humble and are seeking diligently to learn wisdom and to find truth. Along that line, we have this really great quote from the Institute Manual. This is Elder Richard G. Scott. This is coming from October 1993 General Conference, where he says, quote, Humility is essential to the acquiring of spiritual knowledge. To be humble is to be teachable. Humility permits you to be tutored by the Spirit and to be taught from sources inspired by the Lord, such as the Scriptures. The seeds of personal growth and understanding germinate and flourish in the fertile soil of humility. Their fruit is spiritual knowledge to guide you here and hereafter. Since it requires much personal effort to gain and use worthwhile knowledge, you cannot endlessly sample from every fascinating arena of life. Therefore, you should select carefully a few vital areas where you can focus energy to learn and share vital truths. I know that to gain knowledge of great worth requires extraordinary personal effort. This is particularly true when our desire is to obtain spiritual knowledge. President Kimball said it this way, The treasures of both secular and spiritual knowledge are hidden ones, but hidden from those who do not properly search and strive to find them. Spiritual knowledge is not available merely for the asking. Even prayers are not enough. It takes persistence and dedication of one's life. Of all treasures of knowledge, the most vital is the knowledge of God. End quote. Now, what do you think Elder Scott knows about gaining treasures of knowledge and <laughs> knowledge of God? I don't know how much you know about Elder Richard G. Scott. I'm going to link you to this biography. The church had these four apostles. I don't know if they're still doing these. They've reformatted the biography page. And so they just seem right now to have short ones. But they had these beautiful long ones. They're kind of hard to find. But again, I'll link you to it. And it gives pictures of when they were kids and stories about usually when they met their wife. And they're really, really wonderful. I'll share with you a quick story that gives you a sense of what Elder Richard G. Scott knows about the importance of pursuing and gaining knowledge and experience. He tells a story of one summer applying for a job across the country in the Utah Parks Service. He got a rejection letter. He wasn't received. He tucked that rejection letter away and made the trip across the United States anyway. 
And by the time he got there, he only had three cents left in his pocket. The guy says, didn't you receive our letter? And he says, yes, but I'd like to work anyway. Is there a position as a desk clerk? And the man laughed incredulously. And then he kind of lowered his expectations. How about a bellboy? And finally said, okay, I'll wash dishes. And the guy says, forget it. We don't have any openings. Realizing that he simply had to come up with something, he said, I'll wash dishes for two weeks. And if you don't like my work, you don't have to pay me. At least that way he'd have a place to stay and eat, he figured. So he did. But of course, he didn't just stop there. He also went into the kitchen to see if they could help. And by the summer's end, he was the number two cook. That's just the beginning of an amazing life from Elder Richard G. Scott. He recognizes the importance of seeking good things, knowledge, and of course, knowledge of God. That's a big part of the story. I really encourage you guys to read this. It's wonderful. We'll link to it in the description. Let's go on in verse 8. Verily I say unto you, All among them who know their hearts are honest and are broken and their spirits contrite and are willing to observe their covenants by sacrifice, yea, every sacrifice which I the Lord shall command, they are accepted of me. For I the Lord will cause them to bring forth as a very fruitful tree which is planted in a goodly land by a pure stream that yieldeth much precious fruit. From the Institute Manual, we have a quote from Elder Quinton L. Cook from the October 2003 General Conference, where he adds this insight, quote, President Hinckley has taught, Without sacrifice, there is no true worship of God. Sacrifice is the crowning test of the gospel. It means consecrating time, talents, energy, and earthly possessions to further the work of God. In Doctrine and Covenants 97, verse 8, it concludes, All who are willing to observe their covenants by sacrifice, yea, every sacrifice which I the Lord shall command, they are accepted of me. Saints who respond to the Savior's message will not be led astray by distracting and destructive pursuits and will be prepared to make appropriate sacrifices. The importance of sacrifice to those who want to be saints is exemplified by the atoning sacrifice of the Savior which is at the center of the gospel. In order to serve God and be holy, are we making sacrifices consistent with our covenants? End quote. Great question to ask. Let's go on to verse 10. Verily I say unto you, that it is my will that a house should be built unto me in the land of Zion, like unto the pattern which I have given you. Yea, let it be built speedily by the tithing of my people. Behold, this is the tithing and the sacrifice which I, the Lord, require at their hands, that there may be a house built unto me for the salvation of Zion. That's quite a statement. Yes. It's not just building a house unto God because God wants a house. The purpose of building the house to God is for the salvation of Zion. Now, the Lord had designated the lot for the temple two years earlier. This is the temple in Zion, Jackson County, Missouri. In June 1833, Joseph Smith wrote to church leaders in Missouri and instructed them to begin construction of the temple immediately. However, when the revelation in Doctrine and Covenants 97 was given on August 2, 1833, the saints in Missouri had not yet begun the construction. 
In addition, the first mob action against the saints in Jackson County, which took place before the copy of this revelation arrived, greatly increased the difficulty of obeying this commandment. But, despite the difficulty, look at the blessings the Lord wanted them to receive. In verse 13, for a place of thanksgiving for all saints, and for a place of instruction for all those who are called to the work of the ministry in all their several callings and offices, that they may be perfected in the understanding of their ministry, in theory, in principle, and in doctrine, in all things pertaining to the kingdom of God on the earth, the keys of which kingdom have been conferred upon you. From the Institute Manual, we get this quote from President Gordon B. Hinckley. This comes from Teachings of Presidents of the Church, Gordon B. Hinckley, where he emphasizes the need that we have for temples. Quote, I am satisfied that every man or woman who goes to the temple in a spirit of sincerity and faith leaves the house of the Lord a better man or woman. There is need for constant improvement in all our lives. This sacred edifice becomes a school of instruction in the sweet and sacred things of God. Here we have outlined the plan of a loving father in behalf of his sons and daughters of all generations. Here we have sketched before us the odyssey of man's eternal journey from pre-mortal existence through this life to the life beyond. Great fundamental and basic truths are taught with clarity and simplicity well within the understanding of all who hear. The temple is also a place of personal inspiration and revelation. Legion are those who in times of stress, when difficult decisions must be made and perplexing problems must be handled, have come to the temple in a spirit of fasting and prayer to seek divine direction. Many have testified that while voices of revelation were not heard, impressions concerning a course to follow were experienced at that time, or later, which became answers to their prayers. End quote. Beautiful. And I can tell you that that's certainly true for me. I was going to say the same thing. Yep, amen to that. Let's go on to verse 15. And inasmuch as my people build a house unto me in the name of the Lord, and do not suffer any unclean thing to come into it, that it be not defiled, my glory shall rest upon it. Yea, and my presence shall be there, for I will come into it, and all the pure in heart that shall come into it shall see God. But if it be defiled, I will not come into it, and my glory shall not be there, for I will not come into unholy temples. Now that's an amazing promise. That is. All the pure in heart that shall come shall see God. But for a bit of a perspective on what that might mean, here's a quote from Elder David B. Haight from the October 1990 General Conference, found this in the Institute Manual. He says, quote, It is true that some have actually seen the Savior, but when one consults the dictionary he learns that there are many other meanings of the word see, such as coming to know him, discerning him, recognizing him and his work, perceiving his importance, or coming to understand him. Such heavenly enlightenments and blessings are available to each of us. End quote. Temples are so important. Absolutely. 
Let's go on with verse 18. And now behold, if Zion do these things, she shall prosper and spread herself and become very glorious, very great and very terrible. And the nations of the earth shall honor her and shall say, Surely Zion is the city of our God, and surely Zion cannot fall, neither be moved out of her place, for God is there, and the hand of the Lord is there. And he hath sworn by the power of his might to be her salvation and her high tower. Therefore, verily thus saith the Lord, let Zion rejoice, for this is Zion, the pure in heart. Therefore, let Zion rejoice, while all the wicked shall mourn. That sounds amazing. I wonder when someone will build Zion. Yeah, we should get started on that. Well, we should. Let's go to the Institute Manual, where we get a little bit of a perspective from President Spencer W. Kimball on that. This comes from April 1978 General Conference. He says, quote, The length of time required to accomplish all things pertaining to Zion is strictly up to us and how we live. For creating Zion commences in the heart of each person. Zion can be built up only among those who are the pure in heart, not a people torn by covetousness or greed, but a pure and selfless people, not a people who are pure in appearance, rather a people who are pure in heart. Zion is to be in the world and not of the world, not dulled by a sense of carnal security nor paralyzed by materialism. No, Zion is not things of the lower, but of the higher order, things that exalt the mind and sanctify the heart, end quote. So it's up to us. Yeah, well worth pursuing. And it begins with us. We have so much that we need to improve and do better about ourselves to become a Zion people. Of course, we don't have to do it alone. In verses 25 through 28, the Lord tells us that if we are obedient, we will escape the vengeance of the Lord and receive a multiplicity of his blessings. The promises are real. The consequences are real. According to Parley P. Pratt, the revelation in Doctrine and Covenants 97 was not complied with by the leaders and the church in Missouri as a whole, notwithstanding many were humble and faithful. Therefore, the threatened judgment was poured out to the uttermost, as the history of the five following years will show. By November 1833, the saints were expelled from Jackson County, Missouri and they continued to face persecution in Missouri until they were driven from the state in 1838 and 1839. So there are the five years that Parley P. Pratt is referring to. Yeah. So that was a wonderful lesson. What a great journey that we've gone through together, and I hope you've taken away some gems to think about and to analyze. What things can you do to build Zion? What can you do to make your temple experiences more meaningful and to help them help you. And to gain knowledge and to absorb light and to become more obedient. Not that we're doing more commandments, but that we're letting the commandments we do help to change us to become something new and wonderful through the grace of Jesus Christ. 
we can each do that little bit by little bit. Keep reading your scriptures, and we'll look forward to talking to you more about these revelations in our next lesson. We'll see you then. This podcast is not officially affiliated with The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but we're really big fans.